right, good evening everyone. It's good to see you all here. Hope you had a good week. And um, I'm so grateful to see you all here. I'm, I'm glad, like Mark said, that they paved this driveway and it looks like they're wrapping up this project out here. It has been a long journey, <laughs> but it's almost all done now. So we're really grateful to have a smooth road uh, coming in and out of here and it's a blessing. So. Anyways, I'm excited to uh, begin our second weekend of Unlocking Prophecy. Tonight we have uh, two presentations as normal, uh, and our first topic tonight is Revelation's Peacemaker. And uh, before we get into God's Word this morning, or this evening, let's go ahead and bow our heads for another word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for bringing us here for another night of Unlocking Prophecy. Lord, we pray that as we open your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would touch our hearts, Lord, as we look at the the gospel, Lord, the everlasting gospel, that you have a desire to go to every people group on the planet. Lord, we pray that the gospel would speak to us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, and that we would be drawn closer to you throughout this presentation here today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, a prestigious American medical university was doing stress tolerance testing. They wanted to find out how much stress we as human beings could handle. So they wanted to know how heavy of a burden we could bear, how much anxiety, how much worry, how much tension people can really tolerate. They wanted to know how much pressure we could take without taking a break. So they decided to do their experiment with lambs. Unfortunately, it seems like kind of a cruel experiment, really. But they wanted to see how lambs related to stress. And by doing so, maybe they would learn some lessons about we as humans and how we handle and respond to stress. So they took a lamb and they put it in a pen. And the lamb couldn't observe anything outside of the pen, but the researchers built the pen in such a way that they could look in and observe the lamb. Now, the the researchers placed 14 different feeding stations in the pen. So the lamb could go from station to station and feed. And, um, and then the researchers decided to go ahead and hook up electrical nodes to the feeding stations. So as the lamb went over to one particular feeding station and began to eat, the researchers shocked the lamb. He went to another feeding station and started eating, and then they shocked the lamb again. The lamb nervously twitched and bolted out of there. He, he, ran, he began running around the pen looking for a secure place to eat, but could find none. Finally, they shocked this lamb at every single station that was there. The lamb was so nervous and so anxious, it had borne so much stress that the lamb stumbled into the center of the pen, began to quiver, and had a nervous breakdown. And sadly, friends, this poor little lamb experienced a heart attack and died. The load of stress was so great upon it. The researchers then took the lamb's twin and they put it in that same pen, but there was one major difference. They put the lamb's mother in the pen with him. And the little lamb went to the first feeding station and started eating. And the researchers shocked the lamb. And what do you think the lamb did? Well, the lamb looked up at its mother and went, bah, bah. And amazingly, that, that uh, little lamb did not, run to the fir- did not run away from the first feeding station, but kept eating. And the researchers said, well, what's going on here? Well, they pushed the button and they shocked the little lamb again. And, and the little lamb looked up to its mother and, and bad. And uh, the mama responded back and the lamb kept eating. The researchers shocked the lamb again, and this little lamb went over to mama, and the mama sheep whispered something in the little lamb's ear. Now, this is where the scientific research breaks down (laughs) for this experiment. They're not quite sure what the mama sheep said to the baby sheep because they couldn't decipher sheep language. But anyways, the little lamb ran back and ate exactly where she was eating before. So what made the difference? Well, the, the little lamb had, uh, the first lamb had no place to run. It had no one to go to, no one to turn to. The second lamb had the security of someone being there with it. Someone who could encourage the little lamb. Someone who could bear the burdens, if you please. So the question we ask ourselves tonight is, who can bear our burdens when the stresses of life weigh us down? Who can handle our guilt when we're filled with condemnation? 
who can handle our worry and our anxiety, who indeed can give us security. Is there a refuge in the time of storm, in the storms of our life? In the trauma of life, is there a place of security where we can run to? The book of Revelation reveals Jesus Christ in all of his splendor and in all of his beauty. In fact, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that there are some people out there that are, some people are scared to study the book of Revelation. It has all these symbols. It has all these, these beasts and different things. But friends, ultimately, the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? And God has given it, he's revealed it to us so that we can understand it. Jesus shines brightly throughout the whole book of Revelation. In Revelation 1.5, Christ is the faithful witness. He knows what you're going through every moment of your life. He witnesses it. He sees it. Christ is the faithful witness. He has a heart of compassion. He has sympathy and understanding for each and every one of us. He knows the situations that we're going through. Revelation 1.5 continues to describe Christ as the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Friends, Christ went into the grave, and because he, because he did, he can now comfort men and women whose hearts are broken by death. When we lose a loved one, Christ can be there to comfort them. Amen? The Bible says that he's ruler over the kings of the earth. His power and might are supreme in the universe. That's the Christ of Revelation. He's the faithful witness who knows and understands our heartaches that we experience in this life. He's the firstborn of the dead who heals the brokenhearted. He's the one who experienced the dark tomb of death. He's the ruler over the kings of the earth. He's the all-powerful Savior. Amen? He's the sustainer of the world. In fact, he's the one that holds the world in his hands. This is the Christ of the Revelation. Revelation 1, 5, and 6 continues. It says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So who is the Christ of Revelation? He's the Christ who washed us with his own blood. He's the Christ who loved us enough to die on the cross of Calvary and to pay the price for our sins. Revelation 1.8 describes him as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the all-knowing creator God, the God of the universe. He's also described in the book of Revelation as one who walks among the candlesticks. Let me explain on, the, on this one here. In Revelation 1.12, John hears a voice that's speaking to him in vision, and John writes this. He describes it. He says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, or candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to, his, to the feet, and girded, with a chest, girded about the chest with a golden band. Then just a few verses later in Revelation 1.20, John is told what these candlesticks represent. It says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So here we see a picture of Jesus as the Son of Man. He's walking in the midst of the lampstands. He's walking in the midst of the candlesticks, meaning that Christ is walking amongst his church. He's walking amongst his people. He's been looking out for his church throughout the ages. He's not a far off, he's not a distant God, he's a, a personal God, amen? He's one that is there with his people. He's with his people in every age, and he holds them in his arms, and he embraces them. He's there to whisper words of love and words of encouragement. He's there to share with them words of instruction. Friends, Christ will never forsake his people, amen? Who is the Christ of Revelation? Revelation 12 verse 5 reveals his identity clearly. It says that she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Christ is that male child that was born. He's the one who faced Satan's temptations head on. He's the one that was crucified on Mount Calvary. Revelation 12 5 continues and it says, And her child was caught up to God and his throne. He's the Christ who lived a victorious life. 
Amen? He had no sin. He committed no sin. He was one who died the sacrificial death that we, that we deserve to die, but, but he died for us and rose again. And now he lives to understand our heartaches. He carries our burdens and ministers to our needs. Praise the Lord. Revelation reveals Jesus, the one who can bear our guilt, the one who can relieve our anxiety, the one who takes away our stress. And we have a lot of stress in our world today, don't we? <laughs> in Revelation 14, we see that Christ comes on a cloud and he has a great sickle in his hand. He's coming to reap the harvest of the earth at the second coming. We looked at this verse a little bit last week um, as in our presentation. Uh, Revelation 14, 14 describes this scene even more. It says, Then I, John, looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. So here Christ comes to reap the earth. He comes to, way, uh, he comes to do away with sin and sinners forever. He comes to rescue his people and to take them home forever. So who is this Christ of Revelation? Well, he's the one who's pictured in Revelation 19, riding a white horse, symbolic of conquering, symbolic of victory, symbolic of triumph. He's the one who's lost, a never, he's never lost a battle. He's the general that's never lost a war. He's the one who will defeat Satan once and for all. He's the one who sits on the throne in the holy city with the Father. He's the Christ who will reign throughout the universe. And he's the one who said this in Revelation twenty-two, twelve. He says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Oh, friends, I cannot wait for that day. How about you? That day when Christ comes. And we looked at all the signs last week, and I truly believe Jesus is coming soon, friends. One day he'll put an end to all the mess that we see going on on this planet. There's a hero in the book of Revelation, friends, and his name is Jesus Christ. Sure, there's a lot of beasts, but friends, there's a hero. Amen? There's a hero. But of all the symbols of Christ in the Revelation, the symbol of a dying lamb is the most prominent and the most precious. It's found more times than any other symbol used for Christ in the book of Revelation. In fact, Jesus is described as a lamb 27 times in the book of Revelation. Revelation 5, 6 says this, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb as though, it had, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So here in this verse, we see that horns are a symbol of power. Eyes are also a symbol of wisdom. So, so this Christ is all-powerful, and he's all-wise. And the number seven in the Bible represents perfection or completeness. Uh, so the seven eyes here on the Lamb represent the complete work of the Holy Spirit who leads us to Jesus. He's always pointing us to Jesus and to his word. All heaven worships that Lamb that had been slain. Celestial beings sing his praise. Revelation 5.12 describes that worship. How all of heaven, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, the Bible says, how they're up there worshiping Jesus, the Lamb of God, who took the scroll. They said this, they said, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 describes a time in the future when the redeemed those, that is, those who have been following Christ will be saved at last. And it describes them as wearing white robes and waving palm branches in their hand. They're praising the Lord. In verse 10, it says that they will be crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Lamb has secured salvation for all who believe and for all who trust in him. Praise the Lord. Amen. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, the Bible tells us this. It says, and they, that is God's people, overcame him. That is, they overcame the devil. How did they do it? It says, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Friends, that's the only way that God's people can overcome is by the blood of the lamb. We can't overcome in our own strength. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We need the blood of the lamb to cover us. And we'll talk more about that here in a moment. Revelation 
In Revelation 13, 8, Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Before the human race ever existed, the, the father and son in their infinite wisdom, they put a plan into operation. They decided that, that the son would come and save humanity if man were to fall into sin. There was a plan in place, and should man choose to, to sin, God had a plan. He had a, a rescue operation put in place. In their infinite love, heaven was prepared for the possibility of sin. Then in Revelation 19, it talks about a great feast when our Lord Jesus himself ushers us into heaven. Oh, I can't wait for that, friends. We're escorted to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And friends, I, I don't know if you're in the habit of skipping meals, but this is one meal that you don't want to skip. Amen? And that's the marriage supper of the Lamb. You want to be there for that meal and for the eternity that follows after it. But we see also in Revelation 17 that the Lamb has opposition. There are enemies of the Lamb of God. There's a dragon-like beast with seven heads and ten horns which attacks the Lamb and his followers. He makes war with the Lamb. And sitting on top of this beast is a harlot woman. We'll talk more about uh, what these uh, symbols mean, the, the harlot woman and the beast, in later presentations. But the good news, friends, is that in the book of Revelation, the Lamb triumphs over the dragon. Amen? He defeats the beast with seven heads. Revelation chapter 17 verse 14 tells us this. It says, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will do what? The lamb will overcome them. Friends, if we are on the lamb side, we're on the winning side. Amen? Now, I don't know about you, but I like to win. <laughs> it's good to be on the winning team. The Bible continues. It says, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So the question begs to be asked, so why would God, in the book of Revelation, choose something as innocent as a lamb to represent his son? Now the lamb isn't the most powerful animal, you know, he could have used other animals that were more powerful, so why did he use a lamb? Well, let's go back now and we're going to trace uh, through the Bible just briefly um, how uh, symbols of the lamb and how that impacts us in our lives today. We'll see how this understanding of the lamb of God frees us from the burden of sin and guilt. We'll see how it gives us the assurance of eternal life. So let's go back to the days of Adam and Eve. Uh, we looked at the fall of Adam and Eve last week a little bit. Um, we'll briefly cover it now. So when Adam and Eve sinned, we, we saw that God instructed them to bring an animal to sacrifice. Um, and speaking of the Old Testament sacrifices, Moses in the book of Leviticus, uh, it says this in Leviticus 17.11. It says, For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Why blood, you ask? Well, blood represents life. And let's look at the beginning of that same verse. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. So the shedding of blood represents the divine son pouring out his life for you and for me. Following God's instruction, Adam would bring a pure spotless lamb each time he uh, needed to have a sacrifice. He would put the knife to the throat of the animal and he would watch the blood slowly drip to the ground. It sounds very odd to us 2,000, 4,000, you know, 6,000 years after this time. I imagine Adam's heart was broken as he thought about what sin costs. Sin costs something, didn't it? The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. So either Adam had to die or a substitute had to be found. And we saw last weekend that in the Old Testament sanctuary that God told the Israelites to build a sanctuary that he would dwell among his people. So let's review this concept of the sanctuary briefly. Everyday animals were brought and sacrificed at the sanctuary. So what did it mean when a sinner brought his lamb to the sanctuary? Well, let me explain it with a story. So let's imagine that there is an ancient Hebrew man by the name of Josiah. And Josiah wakes up one morning and he gets angry and he ends up getting into a fight with his neighbor. He gives him a, a bloody nose. He hurts him. It's a bad situation. Well, that night, Josiah comes to evening prayer 
and he has a sense that he has sinned. He feels really bad about what he did to his neighbor, a sense that he had really wronged him. And so he goes to his neighbor and he apologizes. He asks for forgiveness from his neighbor, but the guilt still rests upon Josiah. And Josiah knows that he must bring a lamb to the sanctuary. The next morning, he takes that lamb, a pure spotless male lamb, and Josiah walks through the camp of Israel. His neighbors see him, um, everybody, you know, a bunch of people see him, and as they see him walk into the sanctuary with their lamb, they know that he has sinned and that he's guilty of something. So Josiah comes to the sanctuary, and, and as he arrives, he puts the hand, his hand on the head of the animal. He kneels and he confesses his sins and plunges the knife through the throat of the animal. The blood flows and the animal dies. The priest catches the blood with a basin and uh, the animal is then put on a brazen altar and the animal is consumed uh, on the altar of sacrifice. This is what God had instructed them to do. The priest then brings some of the blood into the sanctuary, but remember before Josiah came to the sanctuary, he was weighed down with guilt because he had hurt his neighbor. But as he confesses his sin over the lamb, um, something amazing happens in his life. The Bible tells us about it in Leviticus 5, verse 5 and 6, what happens. It says, And it shall be, when he is guilty in any of these matters, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he has committed. So in the case of Josiah, when Josiah confessed his sin, the guilt of that sin was transferred to the sacrificial animal, symbolically. And these Old Testament uh, sacrifices, they, they were all pointing forward to the sacrifice that Christ would make for us on the cross. So then we see Josiah would leave the sanctuary and he's no longer guilty. He walks away a forgiven man. So here in the sanctuary services, the Israelites were, were following the steps of forgiveness. What are the steps of forgiveness? Here they are. Number one, they acknowledged their guilt. They realized that they were guilty of sinning against God. Number two, they confessed their sin. They acknowledged it. They, they confessed it to, to the Lord. And number three, they accepted God's forgiveness. Number four, they believed God's promises. And friends, there are, these, are some, these are the same steps that we need to go through as well. Amen? When we've sinned, we can experience forgiveness when we acknowledge our sin, when we confess our sin, when, when we accept God's forgiveness, and when we believe his promises that he has indeed forgiven us. A number of years ago, there was a preacher holding a series of meetings like these in one of the Scandinavian countries, and one day, the pastor was visiting with a lady who was in her mid-40s, and uh, she was asking uh, about how to deal with, with the guilt of sin. She commented, she said, Pastor, I've done something terrible. It was so terrible that I've had a hard time ever talking about it. Pastor, it was an affair that resulted in an abortion. And Pastor, for 17 years, I've been carrying the burden of guilt. This guilt has crushed my spirit. It has taken the joy out of my life, she said. I know what I did 17 years ago was so wrong, but I can't do anything to bring that little life back. Pastor, it's breaking my heart. The pastor gently responded. He said, you know, if you lived in the Old Testament times, you would bring a lamb and you would confess your sin over on the head of that lamb. The guilt would be transferred to that lamb and the lamb would die for your sin symbolically. The blood would be taken into the sanctuary and you would walk away free knowing that the burden is off your back. But we're not living in the Old Testament and your problem is, is that you don't have a lamb and you, don't, and you haven't accepted the Savior. But if you come and if you kneel before him confessing your sins, the burden will be taken off your shoulders. John one twenty nine tells us, it says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, you and I do not need to bear our guilt. We can come and we can openly confess our sins. We can come and acknowledge that we are guilty before God. We can come in, in, in tear-stained repentance. 
The lamb of the book of Revelation is still the lamb that bears your guilt. He's the lamb who was shed for your sin and for mine. Not sure what that sound is. (laughs) He's the lamb whose blood was shed for your sin and for mine. He's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's said there in John chapter 1. But to be free from guilt, friends, we must first acknowledge it. A sinner in the Old Testament would never be free from guilt until they acknowledged it by bringing their lamb. So it's only as we honestly come before God and confess our sins and we receive God's forgiveness. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. It says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin has a wage, friends, and that wage is death. If I bear my own guilt, I die the eternal death. But if I come to Jesus and if I confess my sin to him, the burden of my guilt is rolled away. Amen? It's rolled, it's rolled off of me and it's rolled onto Jesus. The, the Christ that died on the cross died to bear my guilt. He died to bear your guilt and he bears our condemnation. As I come and as I confess my sin, I'm saying that he died the death that I deserve to die so that I can live the life that he deserved to live. He went into the grave so that I can worship him on a throne. He wore a crown of thorns so that I can wear a crown of glory. Jesus Christ, the divine Lamb of God, was slain for you and for me. What happened on that, on that cross on that day was far more than the blood of animals being shed. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Friends, your conscience can be cleansed. Psychiatrists tell us that guilt keeps people. It keeps people from living the kind of life that enables them to live a happy and cheerful and productive life. Guilt creates fear. Guilt creates anxiety. Guilt can eat the heart out of life, out of your life. Guilt can destroy you on the inside. But to know that I can come to Jesus and that I can kneel before him and say, God, I've failed you. God, wash away my sin and take away that guilt. You can know, friends, that the blood of Christ was shed for you. He was, it was shed for you and I to pardon our sins, to cleanse our consciences, and to reconcile us with our God. Friends, there is only one who can take away our guilt, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and we need that forgiveness today. We all need it desperately. Because guilt does terrible things to us, friends. Guilt can rob us of peace. It can destroy our lives. Excuses won't do. I can say, I sinned because my mother did this, or my, my grandmother did that. I, lo- I, I lose my temper because my father lost his, and his father lost his. We can make all kinds of excuses. The mind, we, we attempt to deceive ourselves sometimes, And the only way I can be forgiven, friends, and the only way that you can be forgiven is when we come to God and we say to God, God, I have no excuses. I'm a sinner. Excuses won't do, friends. Denial won't do. There was a man by the name of John Gacy. Does anyone remember hearing about him a while back? He was one of of the most horrific murderers in America, in American history, really. He was a mass murderer who took the lives of innocent children. He buried 27 children in the crawl space under his home. It's absolutely tragic, friends. And when it came to his last day on earth, Gary denied it all. He said, he said this, he said, In my heart, as God is my witness, I haven't killed anyone. It really wasn't me. Denial. He was in denial. The human mind has a way of denying things. But the only way that our sins can be forgiven, friends, is to acknowledge them. It's to, it's to confess them. 
and to accept God's forgiveness. But even our good works won't do. Some, some people sin and they say, well, I'm going to make up for everything, and so I'm going I'm to start going to church, I'm going to start giving a lot of money to this charity and to that organization in an attempt to earn favor with God. They try to earn God's forgiveness. But wait a minute, friends. All the good works in the world won't make up for our failures. It won't. There's only one that can lead you to be free from guilt and forgive you, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? Excuses won't take away our guilt. Denial won't do. Excuses won't work. We make excuses, but the guilt is still there. You can try to deny it, but it's still there. Good works are not going to remove your guilt. As the old song says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Friends, there's only one who can take away our sins. There's only one who can redeem us, and there is only one who died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be what? To be sin for us. Why did he do this? It says that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He did it out of love, friends. Did Jesus ever sin? No, he did not. Did, did he become sin for us? Yes, he did, according to this verse. It says that he who knew no sin became sin for us, for me. Make it personal as you read that verse. When Jesus hung on the cross, he experienced more than the pain of, of, of the pain that was in his hands and his feet, more than the pain from the crown of the thorns that was on his head. It was more than the blood that was running down his face. It was much more than the physical suffering that we so often dwell upon. When Jesus hung upon the cross, the darkness of sin enshrouded him. It hid him from his Father's face. That's why Jesus hung there so alone, dying, and he cried out saying this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was bearing the guilt of humanity. That's why at that moment he made the decision that even if he never resurrected, he would still die for humanity. Now, of course, we know that before the cross, Jesus said, he said, destroy this body and in three days I will rise again. But at that moment, when he was there on the cross, sin was so horrific, sin was so awful, that all he could see was the terrible sin and guilt of humanity. That's why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the crushing condemnation of sin. Because at that moment, he could not feel the warm embrace of the Father. He could not see the smile upon his father's face. At that moment, he could not hear the loving whisper of the father saying, Son, you will be resurrected. All Jesus could see at that very moment was the guilt of sin. And praise God, he went through with it for us. Amen? He made the decision while he was dying on the cross that it was worth it, friends. That he would go to the grave and bear the guilt of our sin, even if he could never come out of that tomb. His only goal was to save us. Friends, your burden of sin can be rolled away tonight. You can experience the peace of God today. He is Revelation's peacemaker. You can have the burden of sin lifted today. Romans 5.1 says this, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God, friends, that Revelation's peacemaker can give you his perfect peace. And Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You can be at peace with God today. And you can have his peace rule in your hearts. Peace and not guilt and not fear. What a blessing, friends. Let's look one more time here at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The Bible tells us, for the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We see from this verse that sin has a wage, but salvation is a gift. Many people have that mixed up. They, they think that salvation is a wage. They think that you have to do something in order to earn it. But the Bible says that eternal life is a gift. And God wants to give it to you today. Before you leave this auditorium tonight, before you leave this church tonight, God wants you to know that your sins are forgiven. God wants you to know that you can be right with him tonight. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, friends. There's nothing we can do to work our way into the kingdom, lest anyone should boast. So we see that salvation is a precious gift. And when does God want to give that to us? He wants to give it to us right now, friends. You can have it right now. You can come tonight with all of your guilt. You can come tonight and you can confess your sins to him and you can give it all to Jesus. Amen? Give him all your baggage. Let him know everything that's been going on in your life. He knows it already. Just confess it to him and let go of it. There are five simple steps to receive the gift of eternal life. Number one, accept the fact that God loves you. God really does love you, friends. He's crazy about you, in fact. Um, One of my authors, uh, one of my favorite authors says this. uh, She says, Jesus did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were yet lost. Think about that for a moment. He did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. He loved us so much. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 tells us, it says, I, that is God, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Friends, God has been drawing you your entire life. Whether you realize it or not, he's been drawing you, he's been, he's been leading you, he's been guiding you. He's been working in your life, whether we realize it or not. Number two, recognize that you cannot save yourself. We cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're hopelessly lost without Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by what? His grace. We're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Friends, recognize tonight that you have sinned. In fact, we've all sinned. Can we agree to that? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of his standard of righteousness. But tonight, we can accept his grace and we can accept his righteousness. And realize, like it says here in 1 Peter 1.18, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, things that are, are perishable. You were not redeemed with perishable things like that, like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Christ. Friends, you were bought back with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing, friends, that he would do that for us. And without that, we would be lost. Redemption is a precious gift that we should not neglect to accept. Number three, believe that the Lord Jesus can save you and that he will save you. You cannot save yourself. This is, that's an impossible, impossible thing to do. We, we must believe that God loves us and that he will save us. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world. And I would insert your name right there. So God, for God so loved John. For God so loved Mitchell. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, God is wanting to save as many people as he can, but they have to put their faith and trust in him. Hebrews 7.25 tells us, Therefore, he is able to do what? He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, through Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ is able to save to the uttermost. But friends, we have to come to God through Jesus. There's no other way. We can't go through Buddha. We can't go through Mohammed. We can't go through all these other people. We have to go through Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus tells us this. He says, Do not fear, little flock. 
for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's God's desire to save you, friends. He wants you to be in the kingdom. That's why he came to die the death that he did. He wants you to spend an eternity with him. And step number four, confess your sins to Jesus and believe that you're forgiven. You can come to God right now. And in your heart, you can confess your sins to him tonight and believe that you're forgiven, friends. The Bible tells us this in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. That is, God is faithful. Friends, do you believe that? God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, God is faithful and just. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. Amen? And if you confess your sins, he will forgive them. Amen? And he's going to cleanse you and make you a new person. Number five, claim his gift of eternal life and decide to serve him forever. Don't just decide to serve him for, you know, a short time, but decide to serve him forever. Commit your life to him. 1 John 5.11, the Bible tells us this, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in who? It's in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God. Do you guys believe? Do you believe? Then this is for you. It says that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Continue to believe, friends. People all over the world are making decisions to follow Jesus. Even in Muslim countries, many people are having dreams and visions of Jesus. And they're committing their lives to him. The gospel is going everywhere. Amen? People are coming to God and they're saying, God, I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. I cannot redeem myself. They've come declaring to God, Lord, you are my lamb. You are the lamb of revelation. Come with me and meet this Jesus. Just days before his crucifixion, Christ cleansed the lepers. He healed sufferers. He forgave sinners. And, he tri- and they triumphantly celebrated his marvelous love. He touched the eyes of the blind and they were opened. He opened the ears of the deaf. Lame men walked and the dumb sang. Peace, love, and joy flowed from his very being, but, but the crowds wanted to make him a king. They believed that he was going to be the king that was going to lead their armies over victory, uh, to have victory over the Romans. They thought that he would usher in his kingdom of glory, but, but friends, he did not come to sit on an earthly throne, but instead he came to lay down his life for you and for me and to usher in his kingdom of grace. All of his life, he revealed the father's love and his father's grace. And by his death, he would provide life for the, for, for the entire human race, for those that choose to accept him. Come with me tonight to a place 2,000 years ago where God revealed to the whole universe how much he cares. It's Pilate's courtyard, and a crown of thorns is jammed on his head. Watch as the blood drips down his face. Look at the agony in his eyes. Listen to the snap of the whip of the Roman soldiers as they lash his back. Watch as the soldiers drive nails through his hands. The righteous one is being condemned as a sinner. Watch this scene. Let it touch your heart tonight, friends. Who is this that suffers so? Friends, he's the one who created the sun, moon, and the stars. Who is this who hangs on Calvary's cross? Who is this with nails in his hand? Who is this who bears the guilt of the world? Who is he whose mother is seized with agony at the sight of his broken, bruised, and bloodied body? Watch as the spear is driven into his side. Look at his limp body. Friends, how can you walk away? How can you walk away from a love like that? Can anybody turn their back on a God that loves them this much? 
a God that cares for them so much, a God that wants to save them to the uttermost. John chapter 3, verse 16. I'll read it one more time here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, you can have everlasting life and it can start today. Amen? The text says, whoever. It doesn't say a rich man or a poor man. It doesn't say a wise man or an ignorant man. It doesn't say a black man or a white man. It says, whoever believes in him. Whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. And friends, that includes you and that includes me. Praise the Lord. And you can come tonight. You can come to that loving Christ. You can come to Jesus. You can uh, you can sense tonight that his arms of love are around you. Revelation ends with a final invitation. Listen to Revelation's final appear, uh, appeal here in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Here it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let, who, and let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Friends, are you thirsty tonight for his love? Are you thirsty for his forgiveness? Are you thirsty for his mercy? Are you thirsty, so thirsty that you want more and more of his grace? Have you come to the foot of the cross where this guilt problem is solved once and for all? Why not come there tonight? Friends, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to our message tonight. And our deacons, our ushers will pass out a little decision card here. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision for Christ. We've presented the gospel here tonight. We have, we've talked about what Jesus has done for us. And I'd like to just make sure everyone has one of these cards. And I kind of want to walk you through the card. The Bible says, it says there at the, at the top, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The first box there, it says, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. If that's your desire, I'd encourage you to check that box. The second box says, I repent of my sins and believe that God forgives me and gives me salvation as a free gift. If you believe that, and if you want to repent of your sins tonight, check that box. Number three, it says, I choose to surrender my life to Jesus and desire to live my life according to his word. If that's your desire, check that box tonight. And the fourth box there, it says, I am rededicating my life to Jesus today. Maybe you've made the commitment to, to fully commit to the Lord in the past, but tonight you want to recommit. You want to say, Lord, I'm recommitting. I want to stand firm for you. I want to follow the Lamb wherever he leads me. Check that box. And maybe... You want to mark the fifth box as well. It says, I have a prayer request. If you have a prayer request, we want to be able to pray for you throughout the week and, and lift you up to our great God. And so as you're filling out this card, we're going to, I'm going to invite my friends up here. We're going to sing the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. If you know it, sing along with us.
Friends, I want to end with one last verse here as maybe some of you are filling out your cards or maybe you're all done, but it's found in John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus offers us eternal life right now and he says this, he says, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. And so friends, let's come to him tonight. If you've filled out a decision card, I'd encourage you to maybe pass it to the sides there. Our deacons, our our ushers could go ahead and collect that. Maybe we'll have them collect that after prayer, actually. So let's go ahead and bow our heads here for a word of prayer as we seal our decisions tonight for Christ. Father in heaven, Lord, we've made the decision tonight, Lord, to commit our lives to you. Lord, to recommit our lives to you. And Lord, we've seen tonight that you have done so much for us, Lord. You have left all of heaven to come on a rescue mission for us. And Lord, we thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you for rescuing us. And Lord, we pray that you would continue that work that you've started in our lives, Lord. Lord, we come to you tonight, Lord, acknowledging our sin, Lord, acknowledging our guilt. Lord, we have sinned. We have fallen short of your glory. But Lord, we praise God that, that in you, Lord, we can find forgiveness. We can find healing. We can find restoration. Lord, you want to make us new people. You want to transform our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that tonight. I pray, Lord, for those that are making this decision for the first time tonight, Lord, to follow you. I pray that you would strengthen their commitment, Lord. I pray that you would live in their hearts, that you would help us, Lord, to love you more than anything and more than anyone else. Lord, we believe that you're coming as soon. Lord, we see that, that there's so much happening in this world right now. And Lord, we want above all else to follow you, the Lamb of God. So Lord, please live in us. Help us, Lord. Continue to guide us. And may we be a part of that number in these last days, as it says in the book of Revelation, that follow the Lamb wherever he leads us. Lord, please continue to lead us. And may we be your faithful flock here on this earth, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.